Support for Out There comes from Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing is reimagining beer for the modern, active adult. Their great-tasting brews let you enjoy the refreshing taste of craft beer, but without the alcohol. You can enjoy them anytime, anywhere, and still be healthy, active, and at your best. Whether you've decided to cut alcohol out of your life for good, for a night, or for just one drink, Athletic Brewing Company provides an option you're guaranteed to enjoy. To top it all off, as part of their Two for the Trails program, 2% of all sales are donated to park and trail cleanup and maintenance. You can get 20% off your first order of award-winning non-alcoholic beers at athleticbrewing.com. Just use the code OUTTHERE20 at checkout. That's athleticbrewing.com, promo code OUTTHERE20. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. Have you ever felt unwelcome in a place that you love? Today's episode comes to us from a woman named Heather Kitching. Heather lives in Canada, and growing up, she was enamored with rural life. She dreamed of living in the countryside, riding horses, enjoying wide open spaces, and listening to country music. But when she got a little older, she learned something about herself that threw a wrench into that dream. She realized that if she was going to be her true self, she'd have to leave the countryside behind. I'll let Heather take it from here. People used to tell me, if you're ever in Alberta, you have to go down to ranch country. Because that's where you'll find this cute little coffee shop owned by Ian Tyson. Ian Tyson is a famous Canadian cowboy and folk singer, in case you didn't know. And ranch country is pretty much what it sounds like. You drive south out of Calgary, and that's where you end up. I am a huge fan of Ian Tyson, and about 12 years ago I was in Calgary for a music festival. So one day, I decided to head down to Ranch Country and check out his cafe. So I get about half an hour out of town, and I find myself in this beautiful place. It's a little village called Black Diamond. And it looks like one of those frontier towns out of an old western movie. It's got those little wooden storefronts with those false fronts on them. And it's completely surrounded by fields and horses and the lush, green, rolling foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And I feel this incredible sense of wholeness that I do not normally feel in my usual city life. I used to love the country. When I was a kid, I rode horses, I was in a 4-H club, I used to spend time on farms, I showed at agricultural shows, I was a huge country music fan. 
And if I was feeling athletic, I would take my three-speed bicycle and ride it from my house in suburban Vancouver out into the country to a little village called Cloverdale, which looked a bit like Black Diamond. And I dreamed of living in a place like this one day. It was a childish dream, inspired more by movies and country music marketing than by any real-life worries about shoveling manure or driving two hours into town to buy groceries. I wanted the trappings of country identity, the way some kids want the trappings of hip-hop or punk rock or everything to do with Star Wars. I wanted a country house and horses. I wanted tight jeans and real cowboy boots and cowboy hats and those pretty blouses with the frills along the buttons like the barrel racers wore in the rodeo. I wanted to go to all the country bars I'd heard about on the radio and watch bands and line dance. And I wanted to holiday in Nashville and visit the Grand Old Opry. And if you were to ask me to speculate about why I was so obsessed with this life, I'd say that even at that age, I understood on some level that I didn't fit in. And country music celebrated outlaws. Billy Joe, the highwayman, Poncho and Lefty, these were characters that polite society turned its back on. But in country songs, they were the anti-heroes. And it wasn't that I fantasized about shooting people just to watch them die, to quote Johnny Cash. I am Canadian after all. I think I just love the idea of a gruff, anti-authoritarian antidote to this buttoned-down suburban life I was leading. Country music taught me that outlaws lived in wide-open fields and rode horses and relished freedom and lived self-sufficiently. It taught me that we hung out in little towns full of friendly people like Dolly Parton who showered us in southern hospitality. I was like any kid. I just wanted a place to belong. And country music gave me this vision of a place I belonged. It turns out, I could not have been more wrong about that. One morning, when I was around 14 years old, I woke up from a passionate dream, in which I made love to a woman. And I thought, shit. Because until that moment, I had managed to persuade myself that the feelings I had long suspected were lesbian in nature were really just platonic affections. And sooner or later, I too would understand why girls I went to school with thought that guys were so... cute. Now I had to admit I had a problem. At least, that's how I'd learned to see it. I had grown up in a conservative family. I went to fundamentalist Christian school. I used to lie in bed at night on Sunday evenings listening to the Gospel Country program on the radio. Nothing in the culture that surrounded me taught me that being gay was okay. Instead, it taught me that I was deviant and immoral, and that God would send me to hell if I ever acted on my feelings. So I'd pray every day for God to make me straight. 
I'd interrupt my thought processes if I started thinking about women because I didn't want to get attached to something that I couldn't have. And I wondered to myself how I was ever going to make it through 80-odd years of life without letting myself fall in love. Anybody who has lived through this inner conflict will tell you, it's not something you can sustain for anything close to 80 years. Something eventually breaks. Either you end your life, as some people do, or you walk away from the life that defined you up to that point. I walked away. It was the only decision I felt I could make at the time. But let's not pretend that that also doesn't come with a cost. Walking away meant changing my geographic orientation completely. It began a couple of years after I had that dream. I got a job in downtown Vancouver at a rock and roll radio station. Suddenly, I went from a culture that preached no sex before marriage to the legendary culture of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sometimes I'd be out on the town with my new friends and we'd end up in strip clubs or porn theaters in the backs of sex shops and arcades. One night I was killing time in a downstairs studio with one of the DJs I worked with and we decided to call up a phone sex line on the speakerphone to amuse ourselves. On at least two occasions I arrived at the station to find sex trade workers hanging out in the halls. They were guests of the DJs. I wasn't naive. I knew what the so-called rock and roll lifestyle was all about, and I was smart enough to pretend that I had seen and done all this before. But I totally hadn't. In a lot of ways, I was like any other teenager, doing all the stuff you are not supposed to do. And it felt liberating. And exhilarating. Compared to my conservative Christian upbringing, this was heaven. One day, one of my work friends casually asked me if I like girls, kind of in the same way that you'd ask a person if they like Guinness or Star Trek. It was the first time anybody had ever asked me if I was queer, and it seemed so... blasé. Answering honestly just seemed like no big deal. So I said, yeah. He said, cool. It was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. This spirit of openness that I found at the radio station made me fall in love with the city. This was the place where anything went and everyone was free to be who they were without judgment. I thrived on that welcoming, celebratory energy. And it challenged my faith. I didn't get why God thought that sex was such a big deal, never mind homosexuality. And I had a hard time believing all these cool people I worked with were all going to hell because they watched a little porn or had a little phone sex. I used to have these one-sided conversations with God in my mind where I'd question him on this. It went on for at least three years. Finally, one day, without any great fanfare, I told God I couldn't be a Christian anymore. 
Once I'd broken free from religion, I finally felt free to explore who I really was. I started going to gay bars and dating women. I read Kate Bornstein's Gender Outlaw and concluded that gender roles are oppressive. I went to Ani DeFranco concerts and sang along with anthems like Not a Pretty Girl. And I got mad at the culture that had taught me to feel ashamed of who I was. I channeled that anger into activism. And that is when the country became my enemy. Hey, it's Willow. Life can be hard in so many ways. And sometimes a little support from a professional can help. BetterHelp can provide that support. BetterHelp is one of Out There's sponsors. They provide professional online counseling to clients all over the world. They have specialists in all sorts of areas, from depression and anxiety, to family relationships, to LGBTQ matters. When you sign up, they'll ask you a series of questions to match you with a therapist who can meet your specific needs. You can meet with your therapist via video chat, phone, or even text. In the event that your therapist isn't a great fit, you can always switch to a new counselor. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from meeting your goals, get the support you need. For 10% off your first month of counseling, go to betterhelp.com slash out there. That's betterhelp.com slash out there. Speaking of things that might be interfering with your happiness, do you ever feel like no matter how hard you work, you just can't seem to get ahead? If you look back at the past few years, have you ever had money in the bank, or do you only have enough to pay your bills? First of all, please know that you're not alone. Almost 70% of Americans die with credit card debt and no money in the bank. But also, please know that there are solutions, and you don't have to figure everything out on your own. One of Out There's sponsors is a company called TurboDebt. TurboDebt can help you with credit card debt, payday loans, medical debt, and more. If you have over $10,000 in debt, go to TurboDebt.com slash out there for a free consultation. That's TurboDebt.com slash out there. TurboDebt. Start investing in your future. And now, back to Heather's story. I probably don't need to tell you that evangelical Christians are some of the most vocal opponents of queer equality. And the thing about evangelical Christians is, the farther you drive from the city, the more of them there seem to be. They don't call the country the Bible Belt for nothing. I get mentally tired and cranky just thinking about the endless barrage of anti-gay rhetoric that seemed to be everywhere in that era, in Parliament, in the media, at rallies. And because so much of this rhetoric came from rural politicians and activists, the country became synonymous with oppression. I forgot that I had ever had such a love affair with 
farms and fields and wide open spaces. Those visions of riding horses under a big open sky, they were long gone. Now I envision getting the shit kicked out of me if I ever outed myself in a rural town. For me as a queer, the country was Laramie, Wyoming, where a gay man named Matthew Shepard was beaten and pistol-whipped and tied to a split-rail fence in a farmer's field to die. The country was Sylacauga, Alabama, where Billy Jack Gator was clubbed to death with an axe handle and set on fire because two men were upset that he hit on one of them. The country was Brokeback Mountain. The country was no longer the utopia I had imagined as a kid. I went back to the country in 1995, this time as a proverbial foot soldier in enemy territory. A regional library board was trying to ban our gay newspaper from public libraries in the area. I joined a group of activists who went to their meeting to speak against the proposal. Our opponents were there in force. They compared homosexuality to kleptomania, like it was some kind of mental tick that caused us to misbehave uncontrollably. Some cited bogus statistics that implied we were more likely than straight people to molest children. The audience responded with roaring cheers and applause. When it was my turn to speak, my voice trembled from the tears I was choking back. It's hard to even describe how I was feeling. It's like when you're a kid and your parents are imposing their will on you, and you feel furious and patronized and impotent all at the same time. To be honest, in all my years of activism, that might have been the only time I ever actually went to the country. It was such an obviously hostile environment, I just wanted to stay the hell away. And the worst offender was Alberta. It was the Texas of Canada. It's a province full of ranches and oil, and it was Canada's homophobic backwater. And yet, now here I was in Alberta driving out to ranch country, and to my surprise, I am feeling completely at home. When I set off on this journey, I was just looking for a tourist attraction. I felt safe only because I was inside my car, and inside the protective de facto closet that surrounds any old queer person who isn't actively holding hands with a member of the same sex or otherwise sporting some stereotypically queer look. But peaceful, serene, fulfilled, grounded, these were not feelings I expected to have driving out into the country. Seeing this landscape that I'd loved as a kid stretched out in front of my eyes, it transported me back to that carefree time in my childhood, before all the fretting over eternal damnation or fearing for my physical or emotional safety. You know that song you hear and it takes you back to your high school days or that joyful time in your life before you had real grown-up problems? Kind of like that. 
For the first time since I came out of the closet, I was seeing the country the way I saw it as a kid. It was a romantic view of the country. It was big skies and big open spaces, tearing through a field on the back of a horse in full gallop, living close to the land in tight-knit communities, and sitting in a rocking chair on the porch at night under a big old moon. It got me thinking about all the ways that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and trans people leave behind parts of ourselves when we come out. For some of us, it's our faith. For some, it's an ethnic or cultural identity. A South Asian friend of mine once told me he never used to wear his traditional South Asian clothes to gay bars because he wanted so badly to fit in with the gay community, which was mostly white at the time. But somewhere out there, there must have also been little queer folks who loved football or wrestling, but found that culture too macho and threatening. What about the little queer kids who wanted to be farmers? Or in my case, just live out in the country, on the land. I eventually made it to Ian Tyson's coffee shop. It's a cute little cottagey-type place with a cappuccino bar and, probably not surprisingly, lots of Ian Tyson merchandise and CDs for sale. When I was done drinking my tea, I decided to take a stroll down the street and see if I could meet a stranger and strike up a conversation. I wanted to see if I could talk to someone without them saying anything bigoted or hateful and making me want to run for the hills. It was my version of licking my finger and sticking it on the bottom of an iron to see if it was hot. I saw a woman sitting on the porch of a house surrounded by folk art. So, I started chatting with her. I felt a bit like an undercover agent of some kind. She had no way of knowing that I was queer. But I was there to get some intel on her attitudes about my people. And like any secret agent... I was a little nervous about blowing my cover. I only remember two things about that conversation. First, no, she didn't say anything offensive. And second, she told me that she'd lived in Toronto for years. And the funny thing is, that was all it took for me to feel completely comfortable with her. Toronto, as you might know, is a big city with a huge queer community and generally liberal politics. And in my mind, obviously if she'd lived in Toronto, she was perfectly cool. That's how stark the urban-rural divide had become in my mind. When I look back on it, I realize I was stereotyping country folk just as badly as they'd done it to us. Now... Talking with this woman in this little town, I realized not everyone in the country is an enemy of the queers. At least, not anymore. Things have changed a lot in Canada since I took that road trip. We've had legal same-sex marriage for more than 10 years now. And even out in the country, attitudes are changing. You wouldn't even recognize Alberta. Last year, they elected a left-wing government. 
The mayor of Calgary is a Muslim, and people love him. All of this means so much more than the fact that we can get a job, or get a home, or get married without having to face discrimination. It means we can be whole people. We can be members of our faith communities. We can embrace our cultural traditions. We can play the sports we want to play. And me? Well, maybe one day I'll own that house out in the country. That was Heather Kitching. She's a freelance broadcaster based in Thunder Bay, Canada. You can follow her on Instagram at Radio Kitching. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like one of our stories from last year called Out of the Shadows. It's about a mountaineer named Aaron Parisi who's trying to change the narrative about trans people one mountaintop at a time. I have a link to that episode in the show notes, and you can also listen to it wherever you stream podcasts. Again, that episode is called Out of the Shadows. Before you go, I have a question for you. We've had to adapt to a lot since the start of the pandemic. Restaurants have started serving customers in makeshift structures on the sidewalk. Exercise studios host classes in the park. Religious leaders address their communities in parking lots. And pop-up tents are the new health clinics. Many of these adaptations have been adequate. But at the end of the day, they're temporary solutions. They're a way for us to endure hardship while the world is on pause. But once the pandemic is over, we'll be glad to go back to our old ways. But what I'd like to know from you is what has gotten better since it's been moved outdoors? I don't want to belittle the hardships. Life has been really tough this past year. But do you have any examples of something that's actually improved now that it happens outside? Did you come up with a new idea for your business? Something that's so good you want to keep it going once the world gets back to normal? Do you have new daily rituals you want to continue? Changes in lifestyle? Newfound relationships? We want to hear all of it. Send us a voice message and tell us what's gotten better for you since being moved outdoors. Just click the link in the show notes to record your message. We can't wait to hear your responses, and we might use some of them on the show. A big thank you to J.J. Johnson, Phil Tim, Doug Frick, Mike Lutters, Tara Jocelyn, and Deb and Vince Garcia for their financial contributions to Out There. The stories you hear on this show take months to put together, literally months. To give you a sense of what goes into a story, it starts with a pitch. A freelance writer or audio producer gets in touch with us and tells us about a story they want to tell. If it seems promising, we take time to brainstorm with them and conceptualize the piece. This is our chance to tease out the big ideas and the universal themes that the piece is going to explore. Once we have a draft of the script ready, we go through multiple rounds of edits. 
This is our chance to make sure that the story becomes a tightly woven narrative, something you're going to want to keep listening to. And finally, we spend quite a bit of time on sound design, weaving in music and other audio elements to create an immersive listening experience. Like I said, all of this takes months and requires a lot of time and thought and expertise. And paying for that time and thought and expertise requires money. Which is where you come in. Listener gifts make up nearly half of our operating budget. Your contributions go directly toward paying for the stories you hear on the show. So, if Out There brightens your day at all, consider making a financial gift. You can make a contribution in any amount. Every dollar helps. And there are lots of easy ways to give. You can find us on Venmo at outthere-podcast. You can support us on Patreon, which, in case you're not familiar with it, is a crowdfunding platform for creative endeavors. Patreon lets you make monthly contributions to projects you care about, like this podcast. Just go to patreon.com slash outtherepodcast for that. And finally, if you'd prefer to make a gift with a credit card or PayPal, just head over to our website, outtherepodcast.com, and click support. Thank you so much. If you're new to Out There, check out the Best of Out There playlist. This is a collection of some of our favorite episodes of all time, and it's a great introduction to the show. You can find Best of Out There on Spotify and at our website, outtherepodcast.com. That's it for this episode. Our strategic advisor is Alex Eggerking. Our audience growth director is Sheba Joseph. Jessica Taylor is our advertising manager. Kara Schaefer is our print content coordinator. Our interns are Forrest Wood and Cecily Moran. Our ambassadors are Tiffany Duong, Ashley White, and Stacia Bennett. And our theme music was written by Jared Arnold. We'll see you in two weeks.